This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I am your host, Vincent Chin. It is Monday, December 19th. We're recording a day early in the studio this week and joining me via Skype is none other than Fool.com senior contributor, Asit Sharma. How are you, Asit? I'm well, Vince. Thank you very much. So uh, I have to ask you, uh, what do you got for your holiday, holiday plans? I just want to tell you about my immediate plans. You don't want to hear about the, the long drawn <laughs> uh, deluge of, of, of busyness that I have planned. But after work today, I want to challenge all listeners, because I'm going to do this. Let's all hit the gym or take a run and clear out the way to eat, drink, and be merry. It's been a wild year, and I, for one, want to hit some comfort food <laughs> over the holidays. So my immediate plans are to work out and pave the way for some good eating uh, over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. I, I think that's a very uh, good note in that uh, you know the Motley Fool Interest team, they have an awesome episode that they uh, shot, I believe, in November. It was their Maintain, Don't Gain episode. And there's some <laughs> great tips from our Chief Wellness Officer, Sam Whiteside. And she talks about some ways to you know, splurge and enjoy, obviously, the great food that often comes with the holiday season, but also you know, not allowing that to start you off on uh, too negative uh, a trend towards the end of the year and giving you a strong start to 2017 as well. But for our final new episode of 2016, I did want to spend some time with you, Asset, looking back on the year and then finishing up with a view of the new year and beyond. So first off, we had obviously some big surprises, I think, in 2016 in terms of you know the U.S. presidential election, Brexit, lots of other events. And overall, though, you know, the Broad market, I think, has been able to buck a lot of expectations, and it's been really happily chugging along. The S and P and Dow have both delivered approximately 10% and 14% year-to-date gains, respectively. And recall that things were actually very rough early in the year. By mid-February, uh, both the S and P and Dow were down more than 10%. So at current levels, they've actually managed to jump a solid 25% in those ensuing 10 months or so. So for uh, our end. Or year end part of our discussion, and I wanted to look at a stock that surprised us in 2016. So, Asit, what was your pick uh, for the consumer retail world for the company that really surprised you in 2016? Vince, a stock that took me completely by surprise this year was none other than Wendy's. It's a perennial number three. Uh, world's third largest burger chain, always trailing behind uh, McDonald's and Burger King, which seem to be more in the conversation, but uh, threw off some amazing numbers, up 30% year-to-date on a total return basis. What's even more impressive is going back to January 1st of 2015, the stock is up 57% on uh, year-to-date total return basis over these two years. Not something we usually uh, sort of correlate with the quick service restaurant industry. Um, great margins since 2015, the beginning, operating margin is up over 50%. And Wendy's is doing this in three ways. It's impressing investors by its cost cutting. It's also remodeling stores at a pretty good clip. You may remember that McDonald's went through a big store refresh a few years ago. So now it's Wendy's turn. And um, it's also refranchising, that is selling 
franchises, corporate-owned franchises, uh, to individual owners and teams of owners. So it's going to a model where it will look more like Burger King, which is 100% franchised. Wendy's, by the end of this year, will have 6,500 locations, and only 5% of those will be corporate-owned. Hey, you uh, you touch on a few things. I I will have to say that you know you mentioned the perennial third among the uh, the big fast food chains, and you know Wendy's is definitely a company that uh, I don't think we've touched on very recently here on this episode or this consumer and retail focused episode uh, or segment of industry focus. And um, you know that operating margin increase, that fifty one percent, is really impressive in this space. And especially some of the gains that the stock has been able to enjoy. It's definitely not something you typically see from these steady, or what would generally be considered steadier, uh, more stable names like a McDonald's, for example. Um, so, you know, you mentioned uh, some things like the new story modeling, which, yeah, that's definitely a trend we saw with McDonald's as well. I think that's been helped. Uh, been very helpful in terms of helping to improve some of their foot traffic and store visits. Uh, what else uh, has the company been working on, and or have they been able to deliver to help boost uh, the stock and see some of these strong results that they've been able to to enjoy? They have a few strategies that they're employing. One is called buy and flip. So back in the real estate boom, everyone was discussing how flipping homes might be a good investment. That's before it all crashed. Wendy's take on buy and flip is that instead of selling all of the restaurants uh, to uh, new people or, or new franchisees, they're actually buying some of those back, but they're not holding on to them. So Wendy's will buy uh, a franchise unit or several units and then sell it to a different franchisee, which is perceived to be stronger, has better operating efficiency, and really knows how to manage the restaurants well. So if you think of this as transferring its own restaurants from one franchisee to another, it's called buy and flip, and I think that's a very good strategy. Okay. And also, they are focusing on the basics. Many companies lose sight of the basics that pull in traffic from day to day, and Wendy's is one which is quietly uh, always adhered to quality, service, speed, accuracy, the types of things that you now hear McDonald's talking about to regain customers. Uh, just, I think, this fall, QSR Magazine, Quick Service Restaurant Magazine, does an annual survey of um, all the fast food restaurants, major ones in the U.S., and this year they ranked Wendy's number one. It has an average drive through service time of 169 seconds, so it's the fastest drive through service in America. McDonald's comes in at about 208 seconds, and I think Burger King comes in at about 201 seconds. So by focusing on the basics and then combining that with this larger strategy of getting uh, its own units into the hands of franchisees, which uh, reduces its own operating costs and brings in that great royalty and rental income, they put together this total picture that's boosted earnings um, and really enabled the stock to take off. And I want to cite one last statistic. For example, this last quarter, um, Wendy's had $49 million in net income. A year ago, they had $7.5 million in net income. So they are really generating very impressive margin gains um, year to date. Thank you, Asit. Uh, the drive through number is really interesting. And I think it's reflected too in other companies across the restaurant sector uh, in general when you look at 
you know, some of the news recently around Chipotle and how management has talked about how they essentially took the eye off the ball in terms of their service. And, you know, that is a really key component. It's very important. McDonald's obviously having shifted to simplifying their menu, making sure that, that service experience or that uh, for customers is enjoyable and, and helping boost loyalty, as you mentioned, that's so important. Uh, so, really interesting to see, uh, you know, something like. Uh, you know, drive through or your drive through experience quantified with that average time. And uh, uh, if we can move on here in terms of uh, the stock or for our surprise stocks, for me personally, and uh, this one was something that I previously on the show, having talked about this company and some of its competitors, we kind of beat out on it, beat up on it at times. And that's SodaStream International. So, uh, Previously, with Cure Green Mountain, for example, with SodaStream, uh, these were companies that were kind of like the whipping boy, I think, for a lot of uh, people following the stock market in terms of you know having hit these incredible highs uh, as for SodaStream as recently as 2013 when their stock peaked at $70. They were in a position where there were some very interesting rumors at the time of an incoming buyout from potential industry heavyweights like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and these were at insane valuations like $90 to $100 per share. And management, you know, was giving shareholders some really strong guidance. They said they hoped to hit revenue of $1 billion by 2016. So that was in, uh, that was just three years. Uh, they were talking about this back in 2013. But those buy, buyout rumors they fizzled out. Uh, growth started to decelerate, go on to a full-on reversal, and so the stock went from you know those $70 plus peaks, and they bottomed out at around $13 over the next few years. But 2016 has been much kinder. Um, it is up 140 percent year-to-date, having traded up from about $16 per share to its current level at over $38. And I think it's really important, uh, with some of that background, uh, when the stock was at its uh, highs, that it's really pivoted its strategy and kind of been able to shift its focus towards what has been a very strong segment within the beverage industry, and that is with sparkling water. So, First of all, you know the company's called Soda Dream, but it's pretty much, in some ways, abandoning its namesake market and embracing uh, the sparkling water segment. You know, you look at the news in 2016 about how soda consumption, for example, in the United States is down to 30-year lows. I don't know you about you, Asif, but I myself drink soda less than ever, and I don't know if you've ever been really uh, much of a soda drinker. But what is your experience, for example, with sparkling water? Is that something that you have seen yourself start to take hold in terms of its popularity? A lot of these other brands like uh, LaCroix also becoming very popular. Personally, I used to drink a ton of soda, a big fan of Coca-Cola, and just gave up soda about four years ago on a whim, and it just grew. I just didn't want to take it anymore. And I think a lot of us can extrapolate this experience uh, into the numbers for a company like SodaStream because we all want to be healthy. And I think SodaStream is a great example of a company which actually was uh, in decline and had a new market opportunity Mm -hmm. and took advantage of that. We we probably also should uh, mention that its primary competitor, which was going to be uh, the Keurig Green Mountain, as you mentioned, uh, with their Keurig Cold which was primed to be a competitor to SodaStream, well, that really never panned out. The company was sold off and is 
has restored the moat that SodaStream claims. I think that's important as well. But you've isolated what really is uh, the prime advantage for SodaStream, even moving forward, because we've seen with a company like uh, Dr. Pepper Snapple, uh, we've also seen this with National Beverage Corporation, which goes by the ticker symbol Fizz, F-I-Z-Z. Sparkling water is a huge wave uh, because its main advantage is lower in sugar and the carbonation is still there. So because SodaStream was already positioned with the carbonated water, it's going to take advantage of this. And like many other people, I had given up on the stock, Vince. And speaking of waves, uh, the stock chart of SodaStream over the last year or so looks like a surfer on one of those big Hawaiian waves. <laughs> I mean, it has got a great uh, curve going up. It may be a little bit ahead of itself at this point, but again, this goes back to something we talk a lot about at The Motley Fool, which is if a company can establish a competitive moat, you want to be in that stock. And I think many of us thought that that advantage had slipped away, but circumstance and fortune has restored it in that its competitor, uh, the current cold, is, is no more. Yeah, I should. I want to add that you know overall bottled water is on the rise as compared to uh, your sugary carbonated beverages like soda, and sparkling water is only a really small portion of that market of that bottled water market at least overall. And last year it saw incredible growth. I think it was twenty six percent in twenty fifteen, which is pretty unheard of uh, when you're looking at the beverage industry and the something like soda, where it's seeing these declines. So I, I I think I mentioned two things. So you take that broader beverage segment tailwind that SodaStream's enjoying with its pivot, and then also I want to combine it with something that you had actually mentioned to me previously, Asit, when we were talking about some of the super trends that we were seeing in the consumer and retail sector. And we didn't get to do an episode quite yet on this specific topic, but it's the fact that people are becoming more and more, I think, conscious and aware of the various social, health, environmental impacts behind their buying decisions. So, you know, we've been talking a little bit about Cure Green Mountain, and I think there was a huge uproar uh, maybe a year or two ago about how the billions of K cups that get trashed in a single year, how they could circle the earth something like a dozen times over. And when people heard that, were able to visualize that kind of impact. There's definitely a lot of, uh, I guess, controversy, or a lot of consumers basically started to rethink how they view that company, how they view that consumption process. And I think the same thing is happening for bottled, uh, for bottled sparkling water to an extent as well. You know, my wife and I will often go to the store. We'll buy a six pack or a twelve pack of one liter bottles each week at the store if we want uh, sparkling water. And even though we recycle those bottles, you know the idea of being able to use one refillable bottle with your soda stream and one uh, CO2 cartridge or refillable uh, cartridge with with the soda stream system that can make 130 liter, liters or 60 liters even of the water becomes much much more appealing. And um, you know the way that has materialized ultimately with these two different uh, with the broader growth of the segment that they're pivoting to and plus. Uh, the fact that that eco-friendly uh, benefit that SodaStream, you know, ha- in the past really marketed on, coming back to the forefront, you know, revenue was down 27 percent in 2015, down from their 2013 peak. Operating margins were really taking a hit. They shed five percentage points, shrinking from 7.5 percent to 2.9 percent. And then, you know, keep in mind that the way they uh, generate the revenue between the beverage machine sales, but then also the refillable cartridge or their cartridge refills, and then also their consumables like the flavors, 
Uh, you know, their most recent couple quarters have shown a complete reversal. Of course, with some, uh, you know, admittedly much easier comparisons. Uh, machine sales, though, are up 33% year over year for the most recent quarter. That growth is accelerating. Refills are up 9%. I think uh, the refill growth is important because just that's a good proxy for whether or not these devices that they're selling are, are being used in the market. And uh, otherwise, you know, management's focused on focused on, has been focused on reducing expenses, uh, making uh, production more efficient, and that's really allowed them to translate some of this top line gains into their bottom line growth as well. So net income margin, for example, went from two percent last year to twelve percent this year. A huge, huge uh, expansion there. So I think for this company, you know, the recovery seems to be underway. Uh, I will personally be watching SodaStream closely in 2017. Like you mentioned. That maybe it's gone a little bit far ahead of itself. I would agree with you generally, but I'm I'm just curious to see you know their results from the holiday season since they have so much momentum going for them now. And just it's a reminder to me, I think that if everyone's beating up on a company, but it's kind of related or has parallels with a strong growing market, it has a well-established brand, and it already has you know this pretty sizable network of established users. Sometimes it's good to look in the other direction that everyone else seems to be looking, because you can find opportunities like this with SodaStream up, again, almost 140% year-to-date. Yeah, be a contrarian. I want to make one last quick point about SodaStream. Sure. If you're following it in 2017, I really like that the company focuses on the European market. Uh, many growing companies go straight to Asia because the population growth is there and the wage growth is there. But Europe, a uh, developed economy and a, really a prime market for SodaStream's products. They have a higher social consciousness, which you mentioned. And Vince, I think, yeah, let's we'll tackle a show uh, after the new year on this environmental and sustainably um, conscious investing. But this is uh, an advantage for them, is they know their markets very well. So go ahead and, and play in that. All right. So uh, before we move on to now look ahead for 2017 and beyond, I do want to thank Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting industry focus. Whether you've purchased a home in the past or currently scouring the market, you understand how frustrating and time consuming getting a mortgage can be. Fortunately, Rocket Mortgage is bringing the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's tailored to your unique financial situation. And it's fast, powerful, and completely online, so you can do all of this from your smartphone or tablet. That means no more digging through old boxes of files and paperwork. So if you, you are looking to buy a home or refinance, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. That is quickenloans.com. F-O-O-L. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so Asit, uh, you know, wrapping up our uh, last new show or new episode of uh, you know consumer and retail industry focus for 2016, have to look ahead. Look, have to look ahead. Look at 2017 a little bit. Is there anything in terms of trends, companies, uh, you know, any other announcements you're expecting? Anything you're expecting to see, or just we'll be watching closely for the new year? Sure, I've got uh, two. One is for investors. Be cautious around big box retailers. I want to read for our listeners the last trailing 12 months revenue of some stores you'll be familiar with, um, ticker symbols that you will know. So uh, the first is Walmart. Uh, Its total revenue 
increase over the last trailing 12 months, up one and a half percent. Sorry, up one half percent. Nordstrom up 1.4 percent. Macy's down 3.5 percent. Target down 4.5 percent. Amazon.com <laughs> up 13 <laughs> percent. So th there's a simplistic um, conclusion that we can draw from this in that Amazon is taking market share and revenue growth share away from the traditional big box retailers. We've been hearing this for years. Of course. Uh, but I want to point out that very presently, uh, Starbucks CEO, or soon to be retired CEO, uh, Howard Schultz, said two years ago that we are going to see a really market transformation in the next, and I think he pegged it one to two years, we are going to see a decline in physical store visits for retail stores, and we're going to see that online retail ramp up. So while the trend has been there for several years, and we've all participated in that by buying more things online, I think 2016 for me was the year where it really became apparent just in the growth that online retailing has had this past year. Looking ahead to 2017, if you're going to buy a big box retailer, if you're going to go out and buy a Macy's or a Nordstrom or even a Walmart, which is diversified into groceries, be careful and make sure you have a persuasive reason to buy that stock and that the management team has a strategy to compete uh, online, which of these, I look at Walmart and I think that that strategy is evolving pretty well and they've seen some progress with their ad, uh, acquisition of Jet.com. So that's one trend that I want investors to join me in, in looking at in 2017. Okay, um, and for on my end, um, I think something that I really want to just touch on real quick is much uh, a little bit uh, bigger picture, but just keep in mind for next year, I think uh, a, a big uh, I think theme of the year will be just uncertainty. Uh, I, I, you know, you hear it every day. You see in the news every day. Uh, a lot of this uncertainty around, for example, you know, what the first year of uh, President Trump's pre his term will be like. And in general, uh, you have things around politics and elections coming up next year with uh, the rise of populism, for example, in uh, and how that might uh, shake things up in the European Union. Um, but all in all, I think having read. In the past uh, couple days, preparing for this show, I read at least a dozen uh, 2017 outlooks from various uh, from various financial firms like BlackRock and from Morningstar, and also just from uh, uh, places like Business Insider, Newsweek, Time Magazine, and they all have some of them get really specific with their predictions. Uh, some financial analysts will even peg what they think the S and P will close at specifically for 2017. Uh, you know. The consensus that I could find seemed to be at uh, twenty three hundred, but I think all of this it's there's a little bit of futility in all this. You, you know, you look for the strong businesses, the ones with quality management that they have something like a defendable moat, and you really just need to to take this that foolish view uh, beyond twenty seventeen and looking into the long term because of the fact that when you have all this other you know call it noise even uh, it just it can sometimes make it seem. Uh, really difficult to uh, pick 
that right company with the right story with that long-term view. And it will seem especially hard when you have some of these outside forces that can push stocks one way or the other because the politics or because uh, what you know the president's policies, how they come into play, do affect things. But if you're looking out beyond 2017, 5, 10, 15 years or longer, it really makes it a lot easier to stomach that and uh, and not have to worry about things like that too much and that uncertainty. But the one thing that I will get a little bit more specific for, though, is with labor and wages and the increasing momentum for higher wages, I think, across the country and how that can, especially in our consumer and retail space, have a have a big impact on uh, various companies, various sectors in, term their, in terms of their expenses. Think restaurant industry, think retailers, and how that plays into things. But uh, anything else you want to wrap up with, Asit, uh, before, before we... Uh, Kind of kick off for 2017. Sure. I just want to go back to your point, Vince. It's a wonderful point about uncertainty. If you take the financial equivalent of uncertainty, it's probably volatility in the market. So we can expect this year to be more volatile than the last. That may or may not pan out, but it's certainly from what I've read, looks that this is what's in store for us. But that doesn't mean necessarily that uh, your stocks will end the year down. It doesn't mean they'll end way up. But it simply means, as Ben says, that you should focus on the companies which have strong earnings, strong operating cash flow, access to market growth, uh, market demand. All those basic building blocks of a great investment are more important in an environment like this than they might be in other years where that rising tide is lifting all boats. So I absolutely agree with you there. It's going to be a more volatile year, most likely. So, buckle down and do your homework. We'll try to help you with some of that in 2017, as always. Yep. Call that uh, call that foundation of these companies, these businesses that we look at. Call that your constant. And you know, there's be a lot of other things happening. The volatility, you know, even quantified with, for example, the VIX volatility index that has had plenty of ups and downs. You know, hit highs or hit near five-year highs several times in 2016. But again, broad market up. You know, 10, 14 percent. Uh, for the S&P and the Dow, but um, otherwise, just you know, focus on those key components, those key themes, and uh, otherwise, uh, thank you, Asset, for a great year. Uh, that's a gr- that's a wrap for us in 2016. But before we go, I do want to give a huge thanks to all the fools out there, old and new, for listening and spending your commutes, your workouts, whatever time you have tuning in. Uh, it's been a fantastic year for me stepping into the host seat, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, thank you again, and remember, you can reach out to the entire Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send us any questions via email to industryfocus@fool.com. Go to www.com/podcasts or www.fool.com/podcasts to check out our other awesome shows, and please rate us on iTunes if you have a chance. People in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Demotley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, and full on. Thank you.